Thank you, Chase. Good morning, High Point. Our scripture reading today is from John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. If you like to read it in your pew Bible, that's going to be on page 1628 and 1629. And all of the pew Bibles should be on the same page now. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested, 
The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you not, do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, Jesus said. But I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your words will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Yet you are not, you are not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. Thanks, Troy. Hey, good morning. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here and glad to be here. Um, so I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and, uh, and so I'm a Golden State Warriors fan, which for the last 10 years has been great. But for the first like 25 years of my life was really terrible. Um, they were just like the, one of the worst teams in the NBA. Uh, and then in 2007, I was a senior in high school and they went to the playoffs. Like I think for the first time in my lifetime, they went to the playoffs and um, they, they just barely squeaked in as an eight seed. And they had to play the, the number one seed Dallas, Dallas Mavericks. And the marketing team in Golden State, for as bad as we had been, the marketing team was pretty good. And they came up with this slogan, that's, we believe, we believe, right? They made t-shirts and, uh, and, and we, all, we all wore them. We were all like, that was like our, that was our slogan, just walking around. We'd be like, yeah, we believe, we believe. And, um, and it was great. And, and then the Warriors won the first, they beat the one seed. It was crazy. Everyone, it was, we were like, we were, we were going to win the whole thing. And then of course we lost in the next, ser the next series and that was it. And then we were terrible again for a few years. And, um, but what was funny is that like, it, it kind of raised the question for me of like, well, what did we believe? You know, like we believe, great. Like we believed we were going to beat the Dallas Mavericks, but then we like definitely believed we were going to win it all. 
and then we definitely didn't. And, and, we, and then people wore those We Believe t-shirts for like, for years. They still wear them, but, which is, like, makes more sense now, but, but they wore them for like the next three years when we didn't make the playoffs even, right? And it was sort of like, well, okay, what do we, what do we believe here? <laughs> Are we, we're not that good, you know? Um, and so, and then Steph Curry came along and saved us, and that's great. Um, and now we all believe. Uh, but, but belief has become sort of a cliche. Like, like, we use the word belief to mean all sorts of different things. It can mean everything from like, we really hope this happens. Like, we really, we believe. We really hope we win the, the title. To like, I really, really, no kidding, like, really believe this. And a whole bunch of things in between. And in the beginning of our passage, Jesus starts to teach about who he is. And in verse 30, it says that many believed in him. And then Jesus turns around and he talks to the many people who believed in him. He says, he, he begins teaching the Jews who had believed him. And then by verse 59, those same people who had believed him are trying to kill him. Which is, uh, you know, whatever you want to say belief is, like trying to kill someone is probably outside of the realm of belief. Right? Which sort of begs the question, like, what's going on here? What? That's weird. Like, I, I was always taught in church, like, if you, just, if you just believe in Jesus, then you're saved. Right? But these people believed in Jesus, and then they try to kill him. And, um, and John's, the whole point of John's gospel, he says at the end, is that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and you may have life in his name. And these people believe in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, but they don't have life in his name. Right? They're going to try to kill him. And Jesus even says, you're going to die in your sins to, that, to these people who believed. So what in the world is going on here? And I think what's happening is John is highlighting an idea we've seen a couple of times now throughout the book, which is that there are at least two different ways that you can believe in Jesus. And only one of them leads to life. The problem with the people in this passage is that they believe in Jesus. So long as he's saying this kinds of things they like to hear and promising them the things they want. But the moment he starts saying something that sounds irrational or that offends their cultural sensibilities or that requires them to, to sacrifice something for him rather than receive something from him, they turn on him and they want to kill him. And this is important because a lot of people who, believe, who claim to believe in Jesus do the exact same thing. And in fact, every one of us, whether you are just kind of exploring Jesus, or you are recently have started walking with Jesus, or have you been walking with Jesus for like 40 years, you are in danger of doing the exact same thing, right? And John is trying to get, trying to help us to see how easily and how quickly this can happen, right? You are going to be tempted to believe in Jesus in such a way that while he says, while he seems to say the things you already believe, you're going to be all on board with it. You, you know, he's, he's going to be your guy. You believe in him. Yeah. But then the moment he says things that don't fit your worldview or your political stance or your cultural sensitivity or the moment he asks you to give up something or the, give up that thing or, the, or, or too much of something that you think you need to experience the fullness of life and like the, the good life, you will be tempted to turn on him and even kill him in one way or another. But there is, John says, another way to believe in Jesus, which is to believe in him perseveringly. 
That is to believe in him with such resoluteness that no matter what he says, no matter how wrong he seems to be in your own wisdom, no matter what he tells you to do, you believe that he is the only way to life, that he has the words of life, that he is telling you the truth about how the world really works, even when it looks like he's leading you into death. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to believe perseveringly in Jesus. Believe perseveringly in Jesus. I think I have a slide for that. I'm terrible with this clicker, you guys. Feel free up there in the booth to make me look better and click through my slides. I don't. All right. Um, Okay, and so in this passage, Jesus answers five questions that give us somewhat of a roadmap to belief, persevering belief. And so the first question we've got to answer, the first question that gets answered here is, why should you perseveringly believe in Jesus? Right? What is his credibility? Words are cheap. Anyone can say you should believe in me. And so how do you know that Jesus' words actually constitute what is good, true, and beautiful? And Jesus' contemporaries, and particularly the highly educated religious people, are incensed that some guy would be demand to be, demand to be believed. And so Jesus lays out the foundation for his credibility. And his, the foundation for his credibility is this. He says, I have a unique relationship with God. I know God in a way that you and nobody else does. And so, and he, he says this in at least three ways. He says, first, Jesus, that he is sent by and from the Father. Right? So in verse 18, he says, I'm the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is my Father who sent me. Now, they don't, they, they don't get this. They, they don't realize he's referring to God. And then the, like the next line, they're like, well, who, where's your dad? Who's your dad? You know? Um, and he's like, oh, guys, come on. All right. And then in verse 23, he says, but he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. Right? And so what Jesus is saying is, I know God personally. I, in a way that no one else does, because I've actually been with God. I was sent from God for a purpose, which, which brings us to the second way that Jesus' relationship with God is unique, which is Jesus reflects and communicates the Father's truth and desires. He reflects and communicates the Father's truth and desires. Verse 28, he says, uh, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. He says this, this in a couple different ways throughout the passage, but basically what he's saying is, I've been in the presence of God myself. I know him. I've heard him say the things that are true, and therefore, and I am repeating them, and he is giving me the things to say that are true, and I am telling you them. And so that's how you know they are true. It's truth beyond what anybody else, and from a source that, Uh, that nobody else can get that truth from in the same way that he can. And then finally, Jesus says he's still intimately connected with God in such such that he does and says only the things that God wants him to do and say. right, so in verse 29, he says, the one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do what he pleases. Right, and and then in verse 54, he says, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Right, so Jesus is saying he didn't just have a unique relationship with God. He just didn't, he didn't like know God 10 years ago. And right, no, like he, God is still with him. God is still speaking to him. He still has this unique relationship with God. And this is really Jesus' case for why you should perseveringly believe in him that he has this unique relationship with God so you can trust the thing he says no matter how seemingly unbelievable um, it seems. 
And many people, both Christians and non-Christians, get hung up here because Jesus will say things, will eventually say things to you or command you to do things or teach in such a way on a particular issue that will sound unbelievable or offensive or culturally insensitive or old-fashioned or conservative or, or progressive and liberal, right? Or just irrelevant. And the question you have to start with is not, does Jesus sound right on this? The question is, is he from God? Is Jesus from God? If he is, then it doesn't really matter how, how culturally insensitive or politically incorrect or, or silly or unbelievable Jesus sounds. If he's from God and he's speaking the words of God, he ought to be believed, right? His, his words are more true than ours are. His reason, his mind is, is more trustworthy than our reason or our, whatever we could come up with, our cultural artifacts. Now, listen, in some ways, this begs a, another question. And if you're asking this question, it's a good one, which is, how do we know Jesus is really from God, right? You got to sort of back up another layer, right? Now, that's like a whole other sermon. And if you want to be here for two hours, we can do that. Um, but, but what I would say is, if that's really your question, you're honestly asking that question and not asking it from just from like a place of, of I, I don't want to listen to the rest of this. And so I'm just I, like— if you're honestly asking that question, like, how do I know? Is Jesus really from God? Is there any reason to believe that? There is, and any one of our pastors would love to talk with you about that and give you, give you a more, more of an explanation of why we believe Jesus really is from God and how he has proved that through his death and resurrection. Okay, but if so, if that's you, please come talk to someone at our church about that and feel free to come very, in a very hostile way and, and attack Nick really likes that. So, uh, <laughs> all right, but it brings us to the second question, which is this. What will happen if you don't perseveringly believe in Jesus? And Nick talked about this a lot a couple weeks ago. Jesus is very clear, and there, there are two things in this passage that Jesus says will happen to you if you don't perseveringly believe in him. The first is that you will die in your sin, which is kind of intense. Um, the way Nick described this a couple weeks ago, if you were here, was he used the illustration of a searchlight. And if you're not in the searchlight, if you hide from the searchlight, you'll never be found and then you'll die in the wilderness. Now that's a perfectly good illustration. In fact, it's even a biblical one because Jesus in this passage says he's the light of the world. Um, I'm going to illustrate it the same point, a little bit different way, which is a little bit more, um, less biblical, but more relatable to my world right now which is I have a couple young kids. One of them, my two-year-old, has very sensitive skin. And so he gets diaper rashes all the time. And so I am often find myself, which is not a question I thought I'd ask people a lot, but I ask a lot, are you stinky? Do you have poop? And, um, and so I ask that question all the time to him. And every time, no matter what, he says, no, right? Now, he says no when everyone in the room and in the next room, knows he does, right? It's very, it's very obvious, right? But he says no, and he says no for two reasons. The first reason is that he doesn't want to stop doing what he's doing. He doesn't, he's like, he's playing with something, he's having a good time, and he doesn't, he knows that if we go change his diaper, it's going to interrupt that, he's going to have to stop doing what he's doing, we're going to have to go upstairs and do the whole thing, right? And, and he doesn't want to, he wants to keep playing. So he says, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good, right? The second reason is that he knows now at this point that he gets diaper rashes. And if he's been able to hide his poop from me long enough, 
He knows that as soon as we get into that diaper and I start cleaning him up, it's going to hurt. And, he, and it's going to be painful and we're going to have him have to wipe everything up and it's, and it's going to hurt. And so, but, but the flip side of that is if I just keep letting him play, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And if I was a really neglectful parent, it would get infected and then he would eventually die from that, right? Unless CPS came, right? And so, Jesus is saying in this passage, our sin is kind of like that. And I realize I'm showing the fact that I used to be in youth ministry with this illustration, but that's fine. Listen, um, in this passage, our sin is kind of like that. Morally speaking, you poop your pants all the time, right? Amen. Amen. Right? And you don't, and you don't want to get cleaned up for two reasons. One, you don't want to stop doing what you're doing. You don't want to get interrupted. You don't want to, you don't want to stop living the way you're living. You're having a good time. And then two, you know it's going to hurt. You know that that sin, that thing that you've been doing, whatever that is, right, has, has created in you, that, like created in the God-given person that you are, sores and, and rash and brokenness, that when you clean that up, it's going to hurt. To scrub that away and to, to have to actually treat that. And Jesus, but Jesus tells the truth here. He says, no matter how hard it is to hear, you have to admit you have to admit that you're morally poopy. You just, right? There's just no, there's no way around that. And if you don't admit it, like you can pretend that's not true and you cannot admit, and you can come up with all kinds of justifications and you can spray as much like, like Lysol in the air as you want. The fact is at some point it's going to kill you if you don't admit it and you don't get it taken care of and you don't let Jesus clean it up. And so he says, you're like, you're going to die in your sin if you don't submit to the will of God and don't believe in me. And Jesus says, because you are a child of the devil. That is, you behave like the devil does. You, you like the devil. You are more like the devil than you are God. And, and in that, you, in that you, as you are more like the devil than you are God, you lie and you murder and you, and you, you sin in such ways that actually make you resistant to the light. It makes you resistant to being found out and exposed, right? And they talked a lot about that a couple weeks ago. So I'll leave it there. The second thing that Jesus says will happen to you, if you don't believe and persevere in that belief, continue to believe in Jesus, is that you will remain a slave to sin. Now, when he says this to the Jewish people, they are mad, right? This is the moment, like, these are the people who have believed that he says this to, and then they get real mad because they're like, we are, we were, we're not slaves to anyone. We've never been slaves to anyone, which is not entirely true historically, but like maybe true for them individually and kind of. And so they're like, we've never been slaves to anyone. But the problem that the Jewish people in this passage have is that they can't see the thing, the thing that they've been looking for is right in front of them, right? The thing that they've been looking for for generations is right in front of them. The Messiah is right in front of them and they're missing it. And Jesus knows, like, if you're not going to believe when I'm right in front of you, when I'm right here, I'm going to go away. I'm going to go back to my father. And then you, you're never going to believe. And you're going to continue to look for the thing that you think is going to save you, this Messiah that's going to come, that's going to make everything right and fix everything and throw off Rome and do all the things that you, like you, all the things you desire to have happen in your life. You're going to look for that. You're going to be continually looking for that until the day that you die. And you're never going to find it because it's right here. You walked right by it. 
And that's true for us too. The things that you and I are searching for in life, purpose and joy and peace and love and acceptance and approval, they're found in Jesus. But what will happen to you is if you don't believe in him for those things, you don't realize that he's the one that offers you all of that. What will happen to you is you will start looking elsewhere and you will spend all of the days of your life looking for functional saviors that will give you the things that you want and the goodness of life, the fulfillment and the love and the joy and the peace and the purpose and the hope and the approval and the acceptance, like all those things that you want in your life. You will look for those your whole life and you'll never find them because they were, you missed them. They were right in front of you. They were, they, were, they were all in Jesus. And you'll end up living your whole life in service to those things that you are hoping that you think might give you those outcomes. But they will end up driving you like slave masters to exhaustion and death. Jesus is, and this is true, like, so this is true both if you've never believed in Jesus and that is maybe kind of obvious. But remember, in the context of the passage, Jesus is talking to people who have believed in him in some way. Because after you believe in Jesus, you are going to be tempted to turn to other saviors to get what you want. You're going to, you're going to start along the road, and you're almost more likely to do it because you'll start along the road with Jesus, and the road will not lead you to where you thought it was going to lead. Right? You're, you're going to go, oh, yeah, 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 Jesus will bring me joy. And there, but you're still not going to, like, God's still not going to bring you a husband. And you're going to be like, well, this isn't working. I got to get back on the dating apps, right? This is, this is leading me away, not towards. No, no, no. Like, and, and this can work out like a hundred different ways, okay? You are going to, you, you will be tempted to turn away after a little while. You go, oh, Jesus, this is, just isn't working. So ask yourself, do you believe in Jesus to a point? Like, is there, is there kind of a point where you go, okay, but if I don't have this by then, then I'm going to try a different thing? Or do you believe in Jesus perseveringly? Which begs our third question, which is how can you believe in Jesus perseveringly? This, this question really goes to capacity because um, what Jesus says in this passage is that you and I are naturally predisposed to unbelief, right? He says, your spiritual father is the devil, He's like, you think your spiritual father is God. You think you're all religious. Your spiritual father is the devil. You're more like him than you are like God. And so you have a predisposition to act like the devil and reject the truth of Jesus. And it's going to hurt when you, right, you have a vested interest to not believe in Jesus, to hide yourself from the truth so that you're not exposed. And, and so the question becomes like, okay, if that's true of every one of us in this room, how could anyone ever come to believe in Jesus? Like, how could, I, how could any of us ever realistically hope to believe in Jesus? And even if we could have realistically hoped to believe in Jesus initially, like, how could we ever hope to go our whole lives and continue and persevere in that belief of Jesus? And John has already answered that question a couple times in the book. Um, in chapter 6, he says, uh, no one, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the fa Father who sent me draws them. Right? And so God must do this, some kind of a supernatural work in you to create the kind of person who can believe out of the kind of person who wouldn't otherwise believe. Right? This is why Nic Jesus tells Nicodemus in chapter 3, you got to be born again. Like, I have to, you've got to kill the part of you that is that you've got, like, you have to become an entirely new person 
right? That you are a person who is like a child of the devil and you have to become a person who is born of the spirit of God. And then you can, then you will believe. But that can only happen if God draws you. But now it's not quite that simple. You go, okay, well, great. We're all just like either in God's tractor beam of, you know, of belief or not, right? Either, you know, either we're, we're getting sucked in and there's nothing we can do about it or we're outside of it and there's no way to get into it. Um, but elsewhere, John records the words of Jesus in Revelation 3 and he says, this is Jesus talking. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Right, so God drawing you to him and drawing you to belief looks a lot like Jesus knocking at the door of your heart. Like you still have to open the door. There is a decision that you still have to make and continue to make as you go. You have to believe that Jesus is everything he says he is. And at the moment where that is most clear, Jesus says in this passage, is on the cross. In verse 28, he says, so Jesus said, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. Right? And so there is something about the moment where Jesus is lifted up on the cross, that moment of his greatest suffering, where the reality of Jesus, who Jesus is, the reality of the truth of the things he said becomes the most clear. Right? And it's because it's in this moment that we can see most clearly that Jesus comes from God, that he alone has God's authority, it is in this moment that we can see that Jesus has the words of absolute and supreme truth. And it is in that moment that we can see that he loves you and he is working for your ultimate and absolute best in every situation. And so if you've never believed in Jesus, the, the way to come to Jesus and to come to belief in Jesus is to look at the cross. And we would love to, as a church, we'd love to come alongside you. And if you're, if you're like, I don't know what the cross is, it's just this weird thing that we have up on buildings and around necks, and I, I don't really know, we'd love to talk with you more about what the cross means. And if you already believe in Jesus, at each moment where it is difficult to persist in that belief, the key to perseveringly believing in Jesus is to look back to the cross. So the next question, though, then the text answers is, what does it look like to believe in Jesus perseveringly? Another way to ask this question would be, how do you know if you're still believing in Jesus? Right? The last question dealt with our capacity to believe, but this question deals with sort of belief on the ground. What does it look like? And so Jesus defines what it means to persevere and believe very clearly in this passage. He does it a couple times, probably nowhere more clearly than in, in verse 31. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold my teaching, you are really my dis disciples. That phrase, hold my teaching, in, um, in the original language literally means if you remain in my word. So it's the same word that gets used in chapter 15 when Jesus talks about remaining in the vine and the branches and the, that whole bit, right? And he uses the, the word logos here, which is the word that got used for the Jesus back in chapter one. John said, Jesus is the word, right? And so what, obedient, what Jesus is saying here is obedience is what faith looks like, lived out. Obedience is what shows that you actually trust someone. Complete faith in someone is doing the thing they say no matter what, even, no matter if it offends your sensibilities, if it doesn't fit your cultural framework, or if it looks like it's going to turn out badly for you. 
Only those who believe in Jesus like that are truly his followers, he says. Right? And it, now it's, it's kind of no wonder, like, at this point, the crowd walks away from him. Because they're like, when they liked Jesus, when, you know, when he was saying nice things and they agreed with what he said, they were happy to believe in Jesus. But then he became more unbelievable. He was like, hey, you guys are bad people. You're children of the devil. And they're like, well, you know, maybe go back to the other, uh, you know, they're like, I don't know about that. They were like, well, well, well. And then, and then he starts sounding crazy and kind of prideful. He's like, listen, if, if uh, you don't obey my word, if you obey my word, you'll never see death. They're kind of like, huh. That's a weird, that's kind of weird. That's, um, and then he, then, he beca- then he gets to the point where he just sounds like a narcissist, right? Because he's claim- he literally claims to be God. He's, he said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, that is an allusion back to the Old Testament, both in the book of Exodus, but even more relevantly in Isaiah chapters 40 through 55, where, where God calls himself, the, I am the, he says, I, I am. Like, Moses says, what, what, am I, what are we supposed to call you? And what am I supposed to tell them your name is? And he's like, I am. That's, right? And so Jesus is saying that. Now, Jesus has used the phrase, and it's in the, the Greek, it's the phrase, ego eimi. And he's used that phrase, actually, this is the third time he uses it in this passage. The first two times he uses it, they're totally confused by it. They don't get it. It's 20, chapter, or verse 24 and verse 28. So the first time he uses it, they're like, they're like wait, who are you? It's, it almost sounds like they, he like didn't finish his sentence, and they're just like, wait, what? What are you talking about? Like, yeah, yeah, tell us, tell us more about who you are. Don't, and, but here, by the end, like, now, he's, now this is the third time he's said it, and this time it is crystal clear what he's saying. He's like, he's like okay, you guys, you guys missed it the first couple times. It was right there, but you missed it. That's fine. Here it is. I am. I am God. Like, and they go from belief to murderous unbelief. I go, well, that can't be right. Jesus can't possibly be that. So we are, we're gone. We're going to kill him. But persevering belief means you live like he says, even when it's hard, even when it's unbelievable. It means when he says things that you go, I don't think that, 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 that just doesn't feel right to me. You go, I think Jesus knows better than me. And this is certainly applies to initial faith in Jesus, like the initial point of believing in Jesus and accepting that he died for your sins, um, that you were forgiven and loved and that, right? But this also, and maybe more even, applies to persevering faith. Because many people, especially in the Western church, have believed in Jesus up until the point it cost them something. Or it cost them too much. Right? We're like willing to give Jesus some room. But then we get to a point where we're like, ah, that's, I'm not doing that. You know? And even if we won't say it, we'll like still come to church even. Right? But we're like, okay, but I'm not living like that. Jesus, and, and the way we do it, we're really kind of, we're, we're tricky about it. We go, we go, oh, well, Jesus couldn't have meant that, you know? Jesus, or Jesus didn't mean it like that. And we come up with all sorts of ways that Jesus must have meant it instead or how it doesn't apply to us because it was, the, you know, he said it a long time ago or whatever. You can come up with all kinds of excuses. But we come up with these reasons. We go, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, I believe in Jesus. But when it comes down to it, you don't believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus, you know, in these ways that make sense to you culturally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus says to love everyone. I believe in that, you know. And so because Jesus says to love everyone, and I think we should love everyone too, I think Jesus is right about that. Therefore, I believe Jesus. And that's not the kind of belief Jesus is talking about. 
Jesus is like, no, when I say stuff that you don't like or that you disagree with or that are going to have an effect on your life that you don't really like, belief in me, like persevering belief in me is doing those things. It's sticking with me. It's believing that I am speaking the truth and that you are wrong, that your way of looking at it is, is twisted, not mine, right? And listen, I, I, I'm not picking on you. I'm in the same boat here. We're all, we all do this naturally, right? Because Jesus, yeah, Jesus really does want you to forgive people, even when it's humiliating, right? Jesus really does want you to care for the poor, like actually, not just like give money to them, but like actually care for them. Jesus really wants you to stay in your marriage and, and wants you not to sleep with her or him, right? Before you get married. And even when you're engaged and you're going to be married like in two weeks, and ba- you're basically already married, you know, right? Or Jesus wants you to give away your money in a sacrificial way that you won't have stuff that you just, like, like you, you, Jesus wants you to give away your money in a way that you won't have stuff that you could have otherwise, but because you gave the money away, now you can't have it, right? Jesus wants you to invite your neighbors to your house and wants you to introduce your coworkers to him and like invite them to believe and whatever the consequences of all of those things are. And there's a million other ways this works out. These are like just kind of broad categories. But remaining in his word is like, like that is what it looks like to believe perseveringly in Jesus. Which kind of begs the question, like, okay, why would I do that? What is the result of having persevering, of believing perseveringly in Jesus? Like, why would I even do that? That sounds pretty terrible. That sounds like you would end up living a life that is relatively joyless, that has less stuff than you could have, that would be less fun, and, right? And Jesus says, no, it is, you should obey his every command. You should trust him so deeply so that because whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's like, no, 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 you have it all, you have it all backwards. You're not seeing it clearly. And remember, I am from God. I can, I'm telling you the truth here. I'm telling you exactly what God has said, right? That you, if you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness. You will have the light of life. And by that, Jesus means at least two things in this passage. First, he means that you won't see death. That is, you won't die. That though your body will one day succumb to deterioration, those who believe perseveringly with Jesus will not die, and even their body will be resurrected and made new. That means that you will have the light of life, the light of whatever life is inside of you, eternally, forever. But it also means, right, like, it also means that you will have freedom in life beginning now. That is, you will have the life that is actually life. Like, like the, the full fulfillment and true nature of life. You'll no longer be a slave to sin, but you can live in the way that you were intended to live, but have never been able to live before, and experience out of that all that God has intended you to experience in the life that he's given you. You can live freely experiencing all the goodness that God wants to offer you, right? Um, okay, so my brother, uh, my brother and his wife, David and Natalie, live in Asia, and um, uh, they, they're missionaries there. They've been in a closed country, in a developing country. They've been there for about six years. And um, a couple weeks ago, my niece, they have, they have two daughters. Their youngest got really sick, 
And the medical care in the country they're in is really bad. I mean, their doctors are incompetent and they're, the facilities are terrible. And right, so they, they brought her to the hospital. She was in the hospital for several days. They were like, well, there's nothing we can really do for her. Uh, we can give her IV fluids. Hopefully she'll get better. And so they made a decision. They were like, well, let's fly. We're gonna fly to Bangkok where they have really great medical care. And, and we'll go to the doctors there. And they got her to the doctors there and they were like, oh yeah, we know exactly what's wrong. It's bad and we should, so, but, but we can fix it. So they did. So they, you know, she was in the hospital for four or five days and they, they fixed her all up and she's better. Well, while they were there, they're like, well, hey, we're in Bangkok. My brother and his wife are pregnant. And they're like, well, we're here. We may as well, let's do like a prenatal visit while we're here because we can get images that like, well, we can't possibly get in our country. We'll be able to, you know, we'll get good prenatal care during our pregnancy. And so they go in and they can't find the heartbeat. And they can't find the heartbeat. And turns out she'd miscarried at 15 weeks, a couple weeks before, at 15 weeks. And this is the second time that's happened, which statistically is not real likely. And so they're devastated. They're in Bangkok in a country where they know no one and having to deliver their dead baby. Meanwhile, no one in our family can get there fast enough to be there with them or help them watch the kids that they have to watch and keep alive and, right? And, um, and man, I, as I've, this was just about a week ago, and as I've been processing that this week, like, so I went to seminary. And one of the things you learn in seminary is that Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, it's, and um, which, you know, so I know that. And then he also, Jesus also said things like, you know, if you give up father and mother and sister and brother and houses and, you know, for the gospel, for my sake and the gospel, you'll receive back a hundred times hold in this life and in the next, right? So like, I know all that. But what I found myself struggling with this week is, do I really believe that? Right? Because what I found myself doing is going, man, I think they should just come home. They've been there six years, you know. Jesus doesn't give up your life for, you know, six years. That's a good portion of their life that they've given up. They've sacrificed for, surely God is pleased with them in that. And, you know, and if they move back to the U.S., maybe they would have healthier diets and then they wouldn't, that, maybe that's why they're, they've had a couple miscarriages, or maybe they just have good prenatal care and they would be able to figure it out, and, or, or maybe they'd be able to do some testing and figure out what was the matter, or at least if they were going to miscarry, at least they'd be, get to be like near family. Like people could, they'd have people who could like, I don't know, watch their kids or bring them meals or hug them or something, you know? Like that would be nice. And, um, and so maybe, you know, maybe they should just go home. They should just, they should just come home. They should come back to the States. And, um, as I wrestled with that this week, I mean, the, really the question that I'm wrestling with is, do I believe Jesus or not? I believe him up to this point, for sure, right? I'm a pastor. The, I, I, we've got, I've gone through some things in my life. I believe him up to this point. But like, do I believe him about this also? Do I really believe that he wants us to go make disciples of all nations, even at the cost of our families in very significant ways? you're going to have to ask yourself that question 
a whole bunch of times in your life, right? I've had to ask myself that question a whole bunch of times in the past. I'll have to ask it again. There'll be other things that come up in my life where I'll go, do I really believe, like, did Jesus really mean this? Did Jesus really want this? Did Jesus really, is Jesus really commanding me to this kind of a life? Is he really commanding me to do this sort of a thing, even though it's going to cost me this? Right? And for the, for the Jews in this, in this story, they're like, nope. We, we believe in Jesus. We like Jesus. But now, but the moment he takes it one step too far, they're like, no, that can't be right. We're gone. In fact, we should, kill, we should just kill him. Right? And you're going to have to ask yourself in your life, when you experience things, whether it's suffering or whether it is de- declining things, comfort in your life or power that you could have had or, or money or whatever it is, like there's all sorts of things that Jesus is going to ask you to do and they're going to be hard. And you're going to have to ask yourself, do I really believe this? Does he actually love me? And so, listen, if you've never believed in Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that. He is from God. He has the words of life. He has the only words of life. The only thing that can give you what you really want. And it will look like at times, like he, he doesn't. But he is from God. And so if you've never believed in Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that today. He is knocking at the door of your heart. And you've you got to decide, are you going to let him in? And maybe this is the day you decide to do that. That he alone has the truth that you need. That he alone, through his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later, has not only proved that, but has opened the way so that you could experience life and freedom forever. And so after the, or during these next couple songs, there's going to be a couple people up front to pray. If, if you've never accepted Jesus and you would like to, or you'd like to talk to someone about that, um, you can come up and, and they'd love to pray with you and talk with you more about that. Okay. But for many of you, probably more of you in this room, you have believed in Jesus before, right? You've been walking with Jesus maybe for a while, but what I found in my life and maybe you found in yours is that areas in my life, there are categories in my life or places in my life that continue to pop up where I have to continue to believe. I have to decide to believe again that, G, that I really, like, I have to double down. Yes, I really think Jesus is right about this. I really think this is the way he wants me to live. I really think this is what he wants me to do. Even, and, it will, and it will seem unbelievable. Something he will have said, some, of, some part of his teaching or his commands will seem unreasonable to you. And if that's you, and you've been struggling with that for a while, I want to invite you as well to come down during these next couple songs or after the service and receive prayer for that. I want to invite you to believe again, to see Jesus on the cross dying for you, to see clearly that he's from God, that he has the, alone has the words of God for you that it is he alone who can bring life to you and freedom for you. And so there's going to be people up front that would love to pray with you too. To pray that God would draw you into the belief by the power of his spirit. It is an act of God. 
such that you could persevere in belief in Jesus for all your days and experience the freedom and life that you first asked him for all those years ago. Let's pray. Lord, we want to believe in you. We believe that you are the one who has the words of life, that you are the light of life, that you are the light of the world who, and that anyone who believes in you will have life and life to the full. Father, we, we are so prone to walk away from you, to, to disbelieve when it looks like the path is leading in the wrong direction, to not trust you and fully and completely. And Lord, we pray that you would help us rather than just trying really hard to, to believe better, that you would help us to look to your cross and to see that you have accomplished everything for us and that you would supernaturally in us create life and create faith, that you would help us to believe. Right? God, our, our cry is, we believe, help our unbelief. Lord, we pray that you would do that. Pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Adam.